We, the members of the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Hello, friends. This is your supreme hierophant of the alchemical actors, Dr. Rob C. Thompson, bringing you our latest in a series of panel episodes, or, or what is, I think, officially now a series of panel episodes. This one uh, is going to be about the pop culture influences on the occult and occult influences on pop culture, cut in both ways. Uh, so our panel episodes are an idea we had a little while back where we wanted to get folks who are listeners, because many of our listeners are very bright, intelligent, sexy, fun people. No, I'm not just sucking up to y'all. And they deserve uh, to, to have a platform. And we don't have to then, uh, how do you put that research an episode if we could get some other folks to join <laughs> us in one of these panels? Uh, you know, Luke, I'm going to call up a podcast that nobody thinks about anymore, but um, call her daddy. When that podcast melted down, the, the girl, uh, Alex, I think was her name. She said that this is what she would do is that, you know, she lost her co-host. They had this huge falling out. And she said, oh, I'm just going to bring listeners on. And then she never did. All she did was, I don't know, suck up to Instagram influencers or something. Uh, but I thought it was a good idea. So uh, we've actually gotten around to doing that. And we didn't have a meltdown, which is also nice. Well, so now, Luke, don't jinx it. That's Luke Hinneman, by the way, <laughs> our producer Discordia, who is not currently melting down, although his child might be. What's up, Luke? Oh, you, well, you nailed on the head. Uh, <laughs> teething is great, and she's having a fun time. Having a fun time teething. And, and are you teething at all? Thankfully, no. Okay, good. So yours are all, the current teeth are good to go. Yeah, as, right. as far as my dentist tells me. Good, good. That's good news. How about you, Savannah? How's your teeth? Ah, uh, they're they're pretty good. My dentist always tells me they're beautiful, so <laughs> that's, that's nice. Savannah Verrett, sister of the eighty fourth degree, <laughs> with the the dental forecast for the foreseeable future. <laughs> you asked a question. I answered it. <laughs> you did it beautifully, and Thank as you. beautiful as your teeth. <laughs> Luke, let's introduce our lovely panelists. Joining us today, we have Val. She's a bit of an awkward, witchy kitty mama, often found wandering through cemeteries, who loves all things horror and strives to befriend crows by feeding them boiled ground beef and peanuts. Mm. Hello, Val. Hi. We also have Brian joining us, a former guest of the podcast and biology professor. Brian's been practicing as a neo-pagan for more than 25 years, is an avid consumer of modern fantasy media, and has been vomited on by a tiger shark. Hey, Luke. Good to be here. Hello. <laughs> Glad to have you. Yeah, Brian, you're, you're in Pittsburgh, is that right? Yes, I am in Pittsburgh. Awesome. We got some Pittsburgh folks out there. And also joining us, we have Aster, an English and history tutor, fan of Strange and the Hidden, and a self-admitted crazy cat dude. Hey there. Hello. Now, all of our panel members are joining us from the Occult Confessions Discord. You guys can all join us there for free if you're listening and you're not already on our Discord to engage in community discussions, chat with some of the alchemical actors, or if you really like us, or at least really like Rob, you can join our Discord through Patreon and be eligible to join in these panel discussions. So if they don't join Patreon, it's because they don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well done. I mean, you see how Luke did that? <laughs> Masterful. Why did to make them feel bad so he can encourage them? It has nothing to do with Luke or Savannah. It's entirely Rob's fault if the Patreon is not <laughs> adequately well funded. Uh, now you're just putting words in my mouth. <laughs> it's all right. I will shoulder this burden. Thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> but do join patreon membership is a direct reflection of leadership yeah, that, yes. that's true yeah. that's true fundraising right that's part of every politician's job <laughs> all right so let's go ahead and dig in from our panelist perspective how do you see occultism portrayed in popular media aster would you like to kick us off sure um so the way i see occultism in popular media is usually in two ways, primarily. Either it's, oh, look at that strange symbol. It's horrifying. It's a demon. It's going to kill us. Or it's the sort of whimsy of like magic that is palatable to children. Okay. So we get this, it's, you have a very polarizing uh, sides here. Either it is, chaotic and evil or like you said it's whimsical and it's kind of inviting brian what are your thoughts i think it depends an awful lot on what kind of media you're talking about um i would i would say in my experience occultism has the widest range of portrayal in print media uh and and also the portrayals that are closest to uh some of the the realities of uh of occult practice, as well as obviously those that are incredibly, um, incredibly different than uh, the the realities of occultism. In television, in particular, it seems like uh, most of the uh, occultism uh, portrayed is is very um, monster of the week, or as Aster said, some sort of uh, uh, mystical uh, magic that's very palatable to to children. In like horror genres, we tend to get a little bit more into uh, like high ritual sorts of, of portrayals of occultism uh, that that have made for a, a number of great uh, great stories and in, in movies. I think we're starting to get back into uh, kind of a, a new heyday of of audio uh, occult genres uh, in in media, um, particularly with a lot of podcasts. Uh, aside from from great podcasts like this one that talk about <laughs> like the actual history of the occult, um, there are a lot of fiction podcasts uh, in the the kind of um, horror and occult genre. Uh, I know Rusty Quill's got a few of them that uh, have have quite strong followings. So I want to kind of pivot from what you're talking about, then Brian, because you're talking about how well you a phrase that I really latched onto was you mentioned monster of the week. So it's almost like occultism in media and especially with this big podcast boom and a very large podcast boom that we're seeing post pandemic, there's a bit of a new hotness to occultism. So Val, can I pose a question to you? Do you think occultism sells? Do you think it's good for marketing within this big media consumption world? Yes, absolutely. As like, like, look how successful the Blair Witch Project's marketing team did with, like, the internet being so brand new. And they took advantage of the newity of forums and everything and the internet and and cre- getting everybody hyped up on worrying about these 
actors who they perceived as actual real college students and had even that um, History Channel documentary on the Blair Witch on TV and everything leading up before the premiere. Like, they... they the film is also even very much, like, kind of ruined that the main actress, Heather's kind of life, and she had ended up changing her actual real name because of everybody, like, thought she was actually dead and, and made it hard for her to find, like, other works. And that movie being about, like, a witch and, like, this um, folklore folk horror, uh, like, in the middle of the United States, Maryland. They'll set in Maryland. Coincidentally, yeah. where our podcast is from. Definitely not the middle of the states. <laughs> like the farthest <laughs> east you can go. No, I'm just teasing. It's all good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, that at least was the first thing that came to mind for marketing, at least. <laughs> I mean, you make a good point, Bella. And this is a long tradition in the cultism. We've done episodes on Emma Harding Britain and, you know, even Blavatsky and Crowley. There's always this line between fiction and reality there's the creation of fictional stories that seem to suggest there's something deeper or true hidden behind them and then there's the true characters and true occultists who exaggerate their claims so much that you can't quite tell where the line begins and where it ends so occultism certainly does lend itself to a Blair Witch kind of effect well in that vein Rob you have this mass version of occultism where people are consuming media which is based on you know, maybe various occult practices or different individuals within the occult scene. Aster, if you don't mind me asking, from your perspective, what's one way that the practicing of occultism kind of differs versus how we're seeing it in like a media, from a media's perspective? I think like Brian mentioned, there's this tendency to go for big rituals, like all the really cool stuff but the reality is it's very, very boring. And there's a lot of reading that they don't tell you about. <laughs> yeah, there's usually like one book, isn't there? Like the <laughs> Yeah. They, always they have don't like even cross-reference. <laughs> well, you've, you've got to think of it as a gateway book that's going to get you into the other books and it's going to just get you deeper in there. Well, I mean, it's even like Lovecraft, like just just really the Necronomicon or, or like Charm. Didn't the Charm girls just have that one book that they were continually going back to? Sabrina had her spell book. Right. Just <laughs> you just need the one. All you need is one book and you're good to go. Same with, uh, you know, on the note of the Necronomicon, looking at the entire Evil Dead series, you know, they keep hammering back to that. And that's like the, you know, the beginning of everything in all of those films. Brian, a lot of these are neo-pagan examples. I mean, what do you? There's of course a gap between actual neo-paganism and the way we see witches portrayed on TV. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I, the gap is obvious and huge, uh, but I, I think to a certain extent, um, in in mainstream media, uh, the the witch or the the neo-pagan has become a trope that has, um, I guess, gained a certain amount of. Uh, recognition in in the viewers uh, or the consumers of media. Uh, so, from a narrative perspective, if you're working with a, a 45 minute show, give or take, um, there's only so much time you have to go into explaining an individual. So, um, 
lots of lots of these uh, these media portrayals uh, rely on the trope that's been established, and it's long established, uh, easily before our lifetimes, and uh, in in a lot of the um, even the the newer incarnations uh, rely on on all sorts of um, old. Uh, um, older uh, portrayals of of pagan beliefs, um, we can even find them in Shakespeare. Sure, yeah, we've got Prospero and Prospero, oh, well, <laughs> the yeah. weird sisters, the witches in Macbeth. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But Prospero, I mean, I, I, I guess as you're talking, Brian, I'm thinking about how positive the witch has tended to be, like ever since Glinda, like Bewitched, and then Sabrina, like the witch is so often the good one, or a good one, or doing good. Mm-hmm. So that's why I guess why Prospero springs to mind. We don't see, I, I mean, help me out here, guys, you, you know better than I do. Do we see negative witches well, if we quite think so much? Uh, a fairly recent film. Well, recent as in the last twenty years. Hocus Pocus looks at three witches as a yeah, very eat children thing. Yeah. I mean comically so, but yeah. yeah. But I mean but that's that's kind of what part of our argument is going for or looking at is how occultism sells within media. If you pose these witches in kind of a fun, whimsical fashion and make them the villain, it's something that people can get behind and unless they're pretty and blonde. Yeah, unless they're pretty and blonde. Who are you referencing? So, oh. if anything, Sarah Jessica Parker should have been fine. But that's... I don't know. That wasn't the first Who person that referencing? came to mind that we were talking about Hocus Pocus. I thought he was talking about Sabrina, but I was going with Hocus Pocus. You can go all the way back to Samantha and Bewitched. They're all pretty and blonde. Mm-hmm. Both Sabrinas are pretty and blonde. Well, Bewitched uh, predates yes. Savannah and I a tad. Oh, well, me too, guys. <laughs> I wasn't born in the 60s. <laughs> Val, weigh in for us, Val. What do you think about negative, positive images of occultism? Um, I think, I definitely think about, at least when it comes to the negative aspect, um, Hollywood plays a huge part in the whole, the way I view it as very racially coded of being, displaying black magic as anything that stems from more African spirituality or like the Cree ocean and like the New Orleans voodoo and Marie Laveau on all that. And then also back in like the Salem witch trials with Tabitha being indigenous as well. They, they're all being like black magic is always seen as dark and satanic and evil and stemming from actual African cultures and beliefs and then the white magic is always like the the Wiccans and all the peace and hippie love magic kind of stuff or like practical magic and it's always like white practitioner magic is very good and and positive and like misunderstood but with anything black magic or voodoo or hoodoo, it's always portrayed as evil. Yeah, that's a good point. Where where do we see that in American contemporary horror culture? Story. Anyone on the panel? 
Yeah, I haven't really followed that since the first season. So it did get the, up to a lot of it, witchy hijinks, it was right? The it, third was there season a racism underneath of it? Called Coven. And um it's about these witches, like I don't know, becoming witches. Um, but there is like a whole arc where they meet Marie Laveau and like she's still alive, she's immortal, and they're like, Oh, don't trust the voodoo witches and stuff like that. And then they kind of get to know her and they're like, Oh no, she's cool. But then you find out like the reason that she's still alive is because she's sacrificing babies. <laughs> so it's like Yeah. Oh, good lord. So talk, let's talk about children. <laughs> Tell me about children. So it's Aster first mentioned the notion that a lot of the magic is for children in, in pop media. Give, give me some examples. How does it function? Good, bad thing? What do we think of it? I mean, just thinking of a recent cartoon, The Owl House, magic is just portrayed as if you are a good person doing good magic, great. Otherwise, boo. But even just beyond that, you can, like, looking back at, like, fairy tales and stuff, there are people that do good magic, and then there are the people you want to avoid. Yes. I also feel like the Owl House is definitely a big thing for, uh, a big, like, metaphor for, like, people fitting in and finding their place and stuff like that, and also not letting anybody control, like, you i guess in a sense i don't know mm-hmm. i guess yeah so it's harry potter by other means it is a lot like harry potter except it's not bad yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> hot take uh, owl house is amazing are you yeah are you saying the entire harry potter series is bad <laughs> um i had no idea it's fine <laughs> Owl House is way better. Now, Savannah, I'm not familiar with Owl House. Who is the target demographic? Um, children. Yeah, children. not Savannah. Okay. <laughs> well, but I love it. <laughs> but it's not like Bluey, which I also love. But because that's for literal babies, like the Owl House is like, God, it's got to be for at least like I think it's like is aimed it at like cartoon? ten year olds. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it mm-hmm. is a cartoon. Okay. And this human girl who doesn't fit in accidentally finds her way into the wizarding wizarding world. But not the wizarding world. world of Harry Potter. No, no, no it'd be the witchy world. Uh, the boiling aisles that's like yep. literally on the corpse of a dying god or something like that. Like they built their town there, which was pretty cool. But yeah, she she ends up getting like raised by the outlaw witch <laughs> in this like little witch world. And it's so amazing. Um, but that portrays magic as pretty good, yeah. I mean, as like a way to express yourself, almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, Harry Potter's doing a similar thing, right? I believe so. I don't know Harry Potter that well. <laughs> More or less, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, poor abandoned child. Yeah, within the the context of how magic is used within the Harry Potter series, you know, it's meant to be like, if you're a good person, you're using it right. Everything is fine. If you're bad, you're evil. Or if you're misusing magic, you're evil. Outside of yeah. what, you know, uh, J.K. Rowling's personal qualms are, like her use of magic in the stories do kind of follow that same path. Well, it's a sci-fi trope. 
I yeah. mean, right. I mean, Brian, you could speak to this a bit. I mean, but magic in these stories tends to like fill in for like we wanted to real world it. It could fill in for gunpowder and then it could fill in for nuclear power and then it could fill in for lasers, like whatever. Yeah. I mean, in, in science fiction, there's been the classic trope that uh, um, uh, technology that's sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Right. Yeah. So we can we can use the occult as as the MacGuffin, just the the thing that makes the story go, or we can use it as a mechanism to uh, achieve an end, to um, fill in a particular plot point, or uh, elucidate the the character of of one or more of the the, the different characters that we've met, um, their moral character, I should say, uh, to, to see what's going on. Uh, we get lots of stories that center around those sorts of uh, ideas, but at the um, at the media that seems to be aimed at children, uh, for the most part in the media, um, magic seems to be essentially reduced to the Care Bear stare, where as long as you think good thoughts and project them, then good stuff happens. That would be nice. It would be. Yeah, it would be a wonderful world. Some of the technicality of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's kind of think about that for a moment and use that into our next topic, which focuses a bit on censorship. So you might not typically think of that as being a way to kind of censor the occult or censoring magic at all, but taking it and watering it down to the most basic form, like you said, kids using the Care Bear stare and believing, oh, I have a good thought. I can make this happen. That is my magic in practice. Do you, Brian, do you think that is in a way censoring of that kind of occult foreground that exists? I don't think it's censoring uh, to do that so much as it is to, to provide um, a, a watered down version of, of occultism that uh, doesn't take any technical understanding because um, from my limited experience with toddlers, most of them don't have the, uh, the intellectual capability to wrap their head around uh, metaphysics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fair. Probably. Yeah. Um, so uh, when when you're working with uh, a metaphysical concept and you have an audience that either um, doesn't understand what metaphysics are or doesn't have the intellectual capability to um, to truly understand the idea of metaphysics, or you have uh, an audience that is uh, culturally um, uh, adverse to metaphysics because it's um, seen as, as being um, oppositional to their own religious beliefs, then you've, you've, if you're going to introduce that kind of story and keep your audience, you have to, to change it to, to make it um, palatable and fantastic enough to not be um, relatable in, in any kind of real way, other than just as a plot device. Do you think this media, and this is a question for anybody, uh, trivializes occultism. Let me just give an example here. When I worked with the spiritualist mediums, and I, I have spent a lot of time with spiritualist mediums, paranormal investigators, it's reality TV that tends to get their goat because it's it so trivializes what they do and the, the time and the energy and the analysis involved. Uh, but you know, when it comes to magic, there can be the cultural impression that it's kid stuff, that you know, it's it's Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and it's to be left behind. I, I think that's 
Um, very true with a lot of um, the the Western uh, Judeo-Christian uh, traditions of of, uh, um, of culture. Even the uh, like the pagan holidays that uh, that they stole or co-opted or um, counter-programmed um, that that are still in existence today are often um, portrayed in a way that uh, that makes them all about children and thus is is able to do exactly the kind of trivialization that you're talking about, Rob. Right. Our ch- we, it is our children who must ward off evil spirits <laughs> with their costumes. Certainly not our congressional representatives. <laughs> no, no. It's a heavy lift for my two-year-old, right? Okay, son, we're going to dress you like a World War I fighting pilot, and you're going to keep evil spirits from our door for the year. Good luck, boy. <laughs> Here's some candy uh, to keep you going. <laughs> yeah, we're going to hop you up. Though, yeah. <laughs> we're going to sugar your ass to within an inch of your life. You got this, kid. <laughs> How about the rest of you? What do you think? Is is magic kid stuff in the eyes of the wider culture? I would say yes, but only because the wider culture doesn't believe that it believe in it. So it's like a fairy tale thing where it's like, oh, well, stop believing in fairy tales. They're for children. I feel like you ask anybody, like, uh, you go up to anybody and be like, are witches real? They'd probably tell you no. Or at least most of the people in my life, I feel like, like, I could ask my stepdad and he'd be like, no. (laughs) Okay. Not any of the people that took my classes. Anyway. (laughs) Aster, what were you going to say? I think there is a reluctance to take occult ideas seriously because of stuff like reality TV. Because those, like the people who believe that sort of thing are poked and prodded at. So you look foolish for sort of taking it seriously, which means as a creator, you're like, okay, well, if no one's going to take me seriously anyway, may as well zhuzh up some occultism to suit my purposes. So if we take like the history channel, if we take all of our topics and filter them through that history channel lens, it all starts to look pretty silly. Yeah. I think that that kind of programming though um, has to have um, something that gets the, the audience because let's face it, uh, these TV shows have been around for uh, 15, 20 years in some cases uh, they're still being made. They're still getting advertisers. Uh, and if they weren't profitable, they wouldn't be here. Uh, I, so as much as, as mainstream society may uh, turn up their nose at, uh, at the, the paranormal investigations and uh, the, uh, the Bigfoot hunting and, and so on, uh, there's got to be a market uh, for it. There's got to be consumers. And uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm seeing uh, an explosion in occult uh, or occult-ish marketing uh, across the board. So um, while while society um, or mainstream media may be uh, projecting occultism in the uh, to, to market towards I don't know, perhaps children or the gullible or um, just people that want uh, a fanciful escape from reality. Uh, it seems to be like it's leading to a resurgence in acceptance of uh, 
third way paths and uh, occult thinking. Yeah, I can get on board with that, Brian. I remember as a theater professor when Glee came out, as silly as it sounds, it, it the theater classroom was a more vibrant space. More students were signing up for these classes because of the popularity of this mediocre television show. It's amazing what pop culture can do to breed interest that can then lead to more serious study. And and just like uh, Pitch Perfect came out and we suddenly had acapella groups at every school uh, that we could find. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it can have positive effects. It does have a trivializing effect, but uh, you're right. The pop culture's lens falls on lots of things. And if nothing else, it gets us interested in something we may have been interested in before. Well, my fear with that is it will get people interested. But if we think of, you know, Brian, you mentioned shows like Finding Bigfoot and things like that. There is so much artificial drama that is instilled with those. And so there's definitely a part of it that people come back for that portion of it and they might not be coming back for, you know, you know, if we're looking at Bigfoot, like the folklore elements or the the possibility that he is out there. So it makes me excited to see more occult representation in media but it also scares me a little bit because it makes me think that some people are engaging it to see you know how things are being poked fun at or things like that we've never had a horror movie that tells us that things could go wrong when you did that but i guess people could be doing that (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) I'm th- Savannah did this research for me. Um, I, there was somebody who had written, if you go, if you search a cult confession, someone wrote on, was it a Reddit channel, Savannah? Oh, yes, I, it was. I don't want to cancel a cult confessions, but, and I never read it because I'm, you know, psychologically healthy, reasonably so. So I didn't want to subject myself to whatever that Reddit thread was. But I was curious. Eventually, after It sat there long enough. And I said, Savannah, go ahead and take a look. I assumed that, <laughs> you know, I had mispronounced a native tribe's name or something. But, but go ahead, Savannah. Do you remember what it was? Um, It had something to do with Helena Blavatsky, I think. It did. And, yeah. and it was like, they were when they were listening to our podcast, they were like, oh, she's cool. And then they listened to another podcast and they were like, oh, she's racist or something. Uh, no, not racist, just an idiot and a, a fraud. Oh, and, or, uh, oh yeah. yeah. It was something like yeah. that. And that, but I, I, I was, the post itself didn't uh, catch my attention, but there was a comment in it that made me laugh so much where it was like, the occult confessions people are so gullible. If I pretended to remove my thumb my thumb from my hand they would believe it (laughs) or something like that and i was like that's pretty good (laughs) you have to laugh we should invite that person on the show if they can remove their thumb from their hand we might have something (laughs) yeah right whoa well luke you can remove your thumb from your hand you just can't put it back (laughs) but that's a fair point well he could he could and that was real yeah it's true (laughs) i believe i need to learn from this person on reddit Uh, anyway savannah so what was your takeaway from the conversation Um, I thought it was funny, but I also thought I felt like it was a little unfair because for us to go into every topic without an open mind would do a disservice to like the research and stuff I think that we're doing, like for you to present us a story and then for all of us to sit there and be like, nope, bullshit, because it doesn't <laughs> go with this. Like you have to kind of go into this subject with a 
relatively open mind like i'm willing to listen to this thing i mean and we ultimately did did five episodes we did like five or six hours on helena blavatsky and and we dared to conclude that while she may have faked some things some things about her career are unexplainable and the secret doctrine remains an unparalleled volume um but i think that you know as so much of what's out there is you need to be a hard skeptic and if you're not a hard skeptic then you're a dupe and and that tends to get into i mean as brian's saying the metaphysics of it is lost in in that black and white formulation yeah as as a, a neo pagan and a scientist i've got like issues with that kind of mentality um and uh i i definitely see where it comes from and i see plenty of of my colleagues not to disparage any of them that have uh, a very set idea of how reality works and how reality doesn't work. And I think that, um, that a lot of people um, find comfort in thinking that they understand how reality works. And to discount other people's uh, descriptions of their experiences uh, based on, on it not adding up with your own experience, to me, sounds um, awfully prejudiced and, and not, not uh, philosophically rigorous. It reminds me also, I did a, a um, Instagram post, you know, I do these little like one minute clips and Dan will add images to them. And it was basically saying, why don't we try being open minded? Isn't this a good, you know, avenue onto intellectual inquiry? And, and uh, somebody just <laughs> replied, no. Um, <laughs> their, their point was, and it was well taken to a degree, and it reminds me of something Astor said at the beginning, that when people open their mind, it leads potentially down a conspiracy theory avenue. And, and I don't necessarily think, and I've said this on the show, that all conspiracy theory is bad. But there's a point at which it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, Aster, could you maybe go back to, to some of the things you were saying there about the, the connection between occultism and conspiracy theory? Um, I think the point I was more making is that because we see and like perceive occultists as... If you see magic as a conspiracy theory then you won't interact with occultists in a way that is productive. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I also think there's an expectation from people to be like, oh, so do you really believe that? Uh Uh-huh. Are you sure? Like pressing questions, which isn't fair to anyone because... I don't think anyone's getting anything out of that experience. No. And from that, it's imagine, you know, speaking to someone who is a devout Christian and they're telling you about their beliefs and they're telling you about God. And you're like, do you, do you really believe that? Do, (laughs) do you really three, three, three wise guys walked across the desert because of a star. Come on. You're telling me there's a father, a son and a Holy spirit. Come on. So it's it it almost feels like a a double-edged sword where some people can accept their own doctrine of beliefs but are too skeptical of somebody else's. And with, you know, Rob, Brian, and myself, we we all work in education. So we like part of and Brian, Rob, correct me if you don't see this the same way as I do, but 
part of teaching is encouraging open-mindedness and acceptance of other people because if you can't accept new ideas and new views and new concepts then you you can't learn yeah absolutely yeah and questioning your own beliefs too for sure you got to look back skepticism is good when you look at yourself and say are these the beliefs i really want to hold to are these the values i really want to keep in the humanities classroom i think that's our core job is to make people question their preconceived ideas and beliefs and then leave the room either recommitted to those beliefs or looking for replacements. Not to replace them, not to offer alternatives, but to say, is this really what you want to believe? And if it is, that's amazing. If it's not, there are so many other options and you can pursue them at your leisure. But subjected to critical thought. Yeah. I mean, we've also been under attack lately. This is when this in this episode I just get to complain about the people who bitch at me on the internet. Um We've also been under attack lately by apparently readers of the Urantia book, like in multiple corners now. People are not happy with the way we've covered the Urantia book. And I think it's because that we um, sometimes find it a little bit silly. I also think that in our coverage of the Urantia book, I said it's a kind of amazing document. Yeah, we but we gave it a an A plus for like lore and world building, I think. <laughs> yes, we really did. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I think we were accused of you know, mocking it. I mean, and that gets back to like, you know, too too much attachment to a belief system uh, can also be unhealthy. I mean, that's part of why I, you know, am no longer, in a pra- no longer a practicing Christian. Because, you know, I started to second guess myself, second guessing the people around me. And the more they would tell me and try and push me further into it. And I was like, this makes less and less sense to me. So I just stepped out of it. That's the danger. Yeah. But Rob, were you implying earlier when you were talking about conspiracy theories that having more of an, you can't have too much of an open mind because then you fall into stuff like that? Is that what you were talking about? I think this is a pretty ripe space to like do some research. I'm not currently researching that because, you know, Lilith, but um, I, I think that there is this, yes, the question is, what is the difference between someone who has an open mind, which leads them to deep critical thought and learning to live with uncertainty and someone who has an open mind and therefore concludes that Joe Biden is drinking the blood of children. Yeah. Theoretically, an open mind can tend in both directions, but how do you prevent going down one? You know, because I, I also, I will listen to some conspiracy podcasts and I will say, oh yes, that's conceivable. The things you're saying I'm on board with. And I look for the line where it passes too far. And generally I'll quit listening to a show when it does go to that place where, you know, that's beyond evidence. But it's good to question authority and government. It's good to question the academy. Um, so Well, are you on that topic, Rob? Are you familiar? It's it's getting to the point of year where I don't know if you know the guy. He um He's like a really prominent philanthropist and he goes around often like giving things to kids, uh, depending on like how they've been acting throughout the year and things like that as a very <laughs> George Soros. You're talking about. Yes, George exactly. Soros. A very vibrant yeah. personality, big bushy beard. Um, and he also has like flying reindeer and stuff. Yeah. So like Soros uh, does have flying reindeer. He, uh, he uh, invented that technology. That makes sense. But like every every story can have this sense of plausibility until a certain point where it doesn't it you know we think about myths and folklore where they're rooted in a tiny truth and they explain why something exists 
but they can be fantastical. Like Santa is not actually flying around the world. But St. Nicholas was an individual that lived at one point in time and did give things to children. Yes. Yeah. And generosity is a good thing. And early Christians did give generously to the poor on Christmas Day. But it's, yeah. it's you know, it's with conspiracy. It's recognizing the line of where things are feasible, plausible, and could be happening versus, you know, your example with Joe Biden drinking the blood of children. To a certain extent, it's a very healthy thing. I, I, the media has always told a narrative. I understand that, you know, we look back at the Walter Cronkites of the world and say, oh, yes, that was a, a better time before Fox News or whatever, MSNBC. But Cronkite also told a singular, you know, version of the truth. It's not a bad thing to question that. But when that questioning leads to drawing conclusions, like quickly jumping to some other kind of certainty rather than living with the uncertainty or on that's the note when of, it becomes problematic on the note of jumping when people were jumping out of the windows of buildings when they first aired the radio play for the war of the worlds right right like <laughs> taking being aware that you should take things with a grain of salt could, could be very beneficial to you but i think the internet as a medium is only furthering this this little bit of chaos. And I think that's where I want to try and pivot to next is like, how is, how is occultism looking on the internet today? It's, it's able to be spread farther than anywhere else because of this tool that's available to us. So Aster, what are your, what are your thoughts? How, from your perspective, what is occultism looking like to you on the internet? What do you see? On the one side, there are, people who like to show off their altar and their setup. And on the other hand, you have people who never post a picture ever and just share resources. So, I mean, it's really, it's just people expressing themselves pretty openly. Okay. It's still engaging with the occult community, just in two different sides of the spectrum one showing off hey this is what i've got others showing hey this is how you can you know you know follow more in line with our beliefs and our doctrines so you're talking esther about like the community of occultists who are able to gather in this way and connect with each other mm -hmm. so so the good side of this luke i think also you know those question tends to some of the negative stuff like the various promises made on tiktok about manifesting oh we can't forget about those. Yeah, yeah. So uh, could you weigh, weigh in on that for us? What do you think of this? I don't know much about it. I've, I've heard about it. I've, I've seen some of it, but what's going on there? I don't know what's going on there in particular, but I mean, it's just a new space for people to sell stuff. And sometimes you are selling snake oil and sometimes you are selling... Uh, quote-unquote crystals naturally formed in a giant sphere. So so you see like this is just peddling physical products? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, but there's like a financial reward for you just getting attention, right? Mm-hmm. Brian, how are you seeing things within the internet? Where Where is occultism going for you? Um. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I don't tend to engage with uh, occultists on the internet a whole lot um, because of the fact that uh, 
it it is an unregulated mob mentality full of of people that are trying to make money uh that are trying to convince themselves of their own importance in many cases uh and occasionally other people too um or or people that are convinced that they have discovered the way um and uh like i I've seen lots of lots of occult communities come and go over the years, and I've seen the uh, the so-called uh, witch wars of of different occultist groups um, gatekeeping uh, exactly what is considered uh, from their uh, little corner of the world to be like the true and right way of doing things, and uh, and openly. Uh, verbally attacking anyone that disagrees with them. Uh, and I don't find a lot of that to be terribly productive um, as, uh, mm-hmm. as someone that's actually interested in, in the metaphysics and, and philosophy of occultism uh, in religion in general. Uh, I'm not terribly interested in na- making a name for myself or helping someone else make a name for themselves. Uh, and, um, and our entire culture has uh, gotten to the point that uh, um, attention equals money, uh, particularly in the, the new social media platforms where you can literally get paid for your, your videos and shares and, and likes, uh, which I think is, is great for, um, lots and lots of different, uh, uh, uh media, but probably isn't the greatest way to find any sort of philosophical enlightenment. And I would agree with you. And I think uh, something I can look into in the future is to see if there are, for lack of better words, any like occult social media influencers, because I feel like if there aren't currently, that's something that's on the cusp of taking place when we look at things like TikTok. Rob is a social media influencer. Yes, but Rob, I, I mean... I understand. I don't put on a bikini and tell people how to do their makeup. I you get that, could yes. consider it. I, I did suggest <laughs> make old confessions uh, pin up calendar. <laughs> yes, I'm, we're working on that. Oh I'm God. down. But that comes back to I me. Mean, yes, I'm a podcaster, right? We do hour long shows about esoteric topics and less esoteric topics. But so, Brian, like in your like a couple decades of this, how has it moved? Like, where does it live? It lives on YouTube. It lives on TikTok. Where where does it move around? I, I mean. I, I am not uh, the like the hippest like with uh, the the cutting edge social media. Um, I'm no I'm not. On, is, yeah, I'm, 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 I think <laughs> I'm like six or eight months older than you, Rob. So um, <laughs> okay. uh, I'm not on Instagram. I am not on TikTok. Um, I'm I'm using um, X, formerly Twitter, for a professional um, uh, profile only. Uh, I've seen I've seen a lot of. You can call it Twitter. It's still Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know I what the it. verb form is is anymore. Like we used to tweet, it's but Twitter. now, yeah, we yeah, it, exactly. Like <laughs> I won't let him have this. It's Twitter. Um, yeah, but like I, I remember that. like um, uh, like way back um, when when the the internet was on uh, like media forums uh with uh um things like angel fire 
uh, and and MySpace, and um, and there there was there was immediately like as soon as any kind of social media um, uh, came up, there was immediately an interest in uh, occultism, uh, and and groups formed, and then um, as soon as those groups formed, they almost immediately uh, began gatekeeping the the truth from their perspective, and I think that's just uh, continued and grown, and the with the way that the, that the internet is now with all of the different social media platforms so that we essentially have an infinite number of those groups. And I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that they're all bad or um, uh, self-interested to the point of being uh, useless for anyone else. Uh, but there definitely are those, um, those groups. Uh, and, and like, I've seen Facebook groups with, you know, something like 7,500 people on it and you get, you know, two or three people that decide to be jerks and suddenly the whole thing becomes worthless for a, a week or two at a time. Um, so I'm not sure that, uh, that social media and the internet has done a whole lot to actually help um, people that are, are truly interested in, in learning um, other than providing them uh, digital resources. Uh, so most of the, the contact that I have with the occult community is uh, in person um, uh, around around Pittsburgh here at this point. Or through the uh, Occult Confessions Discord, wink, wink. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> Which Luke valiantly defends against jerks. Yes. The, the Occult def- uh, Confessions Discord is um, a really interesting and uh, um, I think compelling uh, form of social media that uh, is is definitely um, it's it's a well cultivated and uh, and managed group uh, that for somehow we've managed to not get um, a bunch of jerks on it. So for that, uh, I take my hat off to you. And I think that is because a lot of people come from like minded, uh, like you know, like minded places, and they recognize that although the you know occultism might not be as niche as it once was it's still not exactly the safest place on the internet yeah definitely uh val what have your thoughts been like val have you how have you kind of seen social media and occultism merge and grow over the last few years um i think that i'll have to go from like the opposite at least towards the end of what brian was saying and how i've seen how I've actually seen with different projects like Occult Confessions and then some other academic and free scholarly um, social media accounts like YouTube channels, uh, Esoterica, and then Angela's Symposium. They provide like free uh, peer-reviewed scholarly um, academia of esotericism, history, and occultism. And these projects are all just including your guys' with the cult confessions is all based off of just donations and not really monetizing anything other than like merch or accepting donations and Patreon stuff. And it's cultivating this, like I've always seen and believed in knowledge as being power. And, and that's also what occultism and esotericism is as well as just seeking enlightenment and knowledge and with the power of the internet, you have things like Internet Archive, where you can access 
really old books and stuff for free and people can on the internet and the webs like upload translations and people can join together with um translating materials together from different parts of the world and you can really in this collectivist way an anarchist kind of way of working together to unlock more like hidden like once locked away things that was hard to unlock but now together with everybody's own experiences or or abilities of reading or speaking different languages um current or old or even their own knowledge from their um traditional background and the folklore and understanding of things is you're getting to access more and everything most people just see too much of the dark side of the webs or like from what you guys are talking about there is this aspect of this consumerism and very capitalist way of just monetizing off of like crystals and manifestation and like the law of attraction kind of stuff but if you really people who are actually interested in this stuff and will find the actual stuff like occult confessions and esoterica or like angel symposium where they actually there's passion in it and they're not just getting into it just because like it's the thing or it's like ooh, it's perfect for a spooktober or kind of (laughs) (laughs) whatever but like there is so like with the power of the internet there's just so much that you can access and you can do it for free and and like with what the wikipedia is they've never done advertising it's still going strong all these years just based off of donations there is people who want to cultivate and collect freely and provide knowledge out there for everybody and you just have to find the actual stuff that is looking into that kind of aspect which is the true like always been the true trueness of occultism and i i think you're completely right it's you know all these resources exist and people can access them more freely but it's it's always tends to be it always tends to be an issue of finding a good source like you can go to reddit and go to r slash occult and you can have really great conversations with people but you also have so many people coming from so many different backgrounds and so many countering perspectives that you could have a great conversation with one person across one post or one subreddit i should say and then instantly be receiving backlash from somebody else so i think and I hate for this episode to sound even more like I'm plugging the Discord community, but I do really <laughs> enjoy our Discord community because it has, we have a centralized belief behind it. The people that are part of it joined it because they enjoy the podcast and want to continue that conversation. So it's, yeah, it's a kind of ethos that I think Val pretty well encapsulated there. And I love Brian's word gatekeeper too. I mean, Val is talking about the beauty of the internet as working around the old guard gatekeepers, right? We no longer need the approval of the editor at the New York Times or whoever to create content like this and share it. But then Brian's talking about our tendency to become, you know, little Eichmanns and become our own gatekeepers in our little world. So it's about 
creating an ethic and a tone. This should not be an episode where we just stroke ourselves, but in theory, we're not the only ones doing it. Val is absolutely right. There are all kinds of, maybe not all kinds, but there are plenty of people out there who embrace this academic mindset, which is very humble and says, I don't have the answer. I'm just here to explore the answers and the questions. And, and if nothing else, I think that's what feeds the community around this show. I mean, that's that's why I enjoy this show. Like prior to coming on and helping a few years ago, I, I had no occult background in the slightest. And I will be the first to admit, and I'm sure listeners have listened to me speak before and they're like, wow, this guy's really dumb. Mm-hmm. But I would never go onto the occult subreddit and post anything because I would be torn to shreds for my ignorance. But I feel comfortable talking to this community that we've established because it's it's very welcoming. And I'm still learning. I'm still very new to this. And, you know, it's something I'll happily admit because I, you know, I can't I can't go into a classroom every day and teach if I'm not willing to learn. And I love learning. So this is such a beautiful place to do it. It's about creating healthy spaces. I agree with that sentiment very much, Luke. And I think you're you're right on in the fact that um, if you can't get to a, a mentality in which you think you have the answers, um, particularly for for topics like like occultism and metaphysics, um, you might have a better idea than you did last week, but I'm not sure that that any of us ever feel like we get to a point of uh, a final, complete understanding. And I see the same thing with my my academic colleagues in in the STEM fields as well. Um, we're constantly asking questions, and the the more an individual knows, or the more um, uh, the more renown they have in their their particular subfield, uh, the more they'll tell you that there's lots that they still don't know. It's a beautiful thing. Well, one final thing that I kind of want to end on and to get your guys' thoughts on is based on this discussion that we've been having tonight, do you think there is a difference between genuine spiritual belief and the commodification of occult imagery that we're kind of being exposed to within you know, media as it stands now? Aster, why don't you kick us off? I mean, I guess I'd turn that question back around and ask whether everyone who has a cross necklace believes in Christianity. I think that's an excellent way to flip it because, you know, I can't speak for everyone wearing a cross necklace, but I'm fairly confident the answer is no. Yeah, there's varying degrees of depth, right? I mean, (laughs) in any belief system. So for me, it's more that it is more acceptable to wear these symbols regardless of whether you're like 30 years been doing chaos magic or whether you just figured out what a sigil was yesterday. There's a kind of out of the closetness to it. Kind of. It's it's finally stepping into what you've embraced and showing that comfort that you're willing to you know, take it not even a step further, but take it to a public, you know, display almost. Brian, what are your thoughts? How do you see the difference between genuine spiritual beliefs and this this commodity that we now have as we, you know, look at occultism from this pop culture lens? 
Well, I, I think that we definitely have um, uh, occultism entering like mainstream pop culture. Uh, I, I was looking at uh, like my Facebook feed just before we started and um, and and almost the the perfect example of of this uh, uh, commodification of occultism. I stumbled across an ad for the Taylor Swift Eras Tour tarot deck. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not uh, suggesting that such a thing couldn't be used um, for divination, but it it is it just like drips commodification of occultism. Uh, as far as I know, um, Taylor Swift has has never um, uh, put out any information on how to read tarot cards, and I doubt that she produced them herself. Um, so we're seeing. Uh, occult tools, occult, uh, symbolism, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, occult text leaking into, to mainstream, uh, mainstream media and mainstream culture. I don't necessarily think that it's a bad thing, but I think that we should recognize it for what it is. Uh, and, um, a lot of, a lot of occult symbolism, um, carries meaning that, uh, might be argued that that it should be interpreted on a subconscious level anyhow. Uh, so so getting it out there, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but um, I think it it's walking in an interesting line, close, to, uh, sort of similar to appropriation in in the um, the fact that we have a lot of uh, occult practices and, and spiritual practices and uh, esoteric religious practices that are um, uh, derived from uh, particular cultures and ethnic groups. Uh, and we have a lot of, of um, occult symbolism that is supposed to uh, carry deep meaning within it that is being sold uh, to the masses uh, from people that have no idea what any of those meanings are, or what any of the history of it is. Uh, so it, it makes it relatively easy to, uh, to have um, the, the spiritual beliefs and practices of people um, get, get used in, um, in ways that are philosophically uh, opposite of what their intent should be. Uh, I think to a certain extent, we see a lot of that, uh, particularly in the uh, like Norse neo-paganism, where we have an entire offshoot of, of its practitioners that are aligning themselves with like neo-Nazi movements. Uh, and I think there's a, a good argument to be made that historically um, that that belief structure wouldn't support um, any kind of, of neo-Nazi um, ideology, but yet we're seeing that uh, come into the mainstream, and um, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily think that that we should avoid uh, the selling of of any kind of uh, occult symbolism, uh, but I think we have to be ready for the fact that some of it's going to get co opted into to other things, um, and just like like the Nazis. Uh, changed the meaning of the swastika for, for modern humanity from what its historical roots were. We're going to see the same thing happen with, with other symbols and symbolism uh, and, and other occult teachings. Um, and, 
and that may functionally change the way that that um, some of that knowledge is imparted or interpreted. So uh, it's it's just the ongoing social evolution of humanity uh, and and its religion or religions. I think that's really well said. I mean, it especially thinking about like you said the Nazis. You had the swastika, the symbol of the swastika, which was such a peace-bearing thing prior to their adoption of it. And so how quickly that was manipulated and, and changed to reflect their needs and then taking this, you know, what was a beautiful thing and essentially destroying it. Val, how do you see this difference between that genuine spirituality and this, this commodity? Uh, so I was thinking a lot about how there is differences between the actual spirituality practices of being experienced and studied constantly open-minded and learning and growing and taking things with a grain of salt and just always searching for knowledge and growing in that sense of the way but then also this kind of like especially within the western civilization this kind of like consumerist and capitalism way of occultism being this hot commodity kind of thing kind of like with hot topic kind of way and um when brian mentioned the taylor swift tarot deck it made me think of when i bought a buffy the vampire slayer tarot deck that i saw in the store because i was like ah buffy i love buffy i think i think buffy has a little bit more credence than taylor swift though yeah a bit more <laughs> true and then i have also <laughs> bought this like official grimoire book from buffy the vampire slayer of like the magic of history of sunnydale so when that comes around so as much as i you know, bash on consumerism and the capitalism of it. I'm also like over here being a hypocrite and taking part of it into it. But, uh, and then I've also just kind of also when Astor was talking about like cross referencing, all that was going in my head was Giles and the Scooby gang doing their research and cross referencing <laughs> all their books. And, um, but yeah, but I also started thinking about how within asian horror they in they um mix in their horror films and which probably what is one of the main reasons why asian horror is so superior is that they blend in both their actual spirituality their folklore their and their belief systems into things that is within the human experience and actual true like existential dread fears of humanity and that also comes off of aspects of some of their spirituality beliefs as well and that is the way of and well if we want to just keep it in like the horror kind of thing but then there's also like on the lighter side studio ghibli and how cutesy and not it all is and how magic is cutesy and blended in in this steam punky like steam technological world as well um they are blending their spirituality beliefs and practices within the 
mystical realms and occultism. And yeah, so it's kind of like both. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. I think we can imagine a world where the secular and the sacred are not quite so differentiated. I mean, the long history of Western culture, particularly through the Christian church in Europe, was to label things that were not uh, orthodox as profane. And and so I I think that there's been this um, persecution of the profane culturally throughout the centuries. And it's certainly not unique to Christianity, but Westerners are really good at it. So Val's point is well taken that that maybe there is like the, the sort of Asian model or Japanese Korean model of allowing these things to coexist in a way that, that may be fruitful creatively and or even spiritually. All right. Well, does anyone have any final thoughts that they would like to, uh, you know, bring to the table for lack of better words? Astor, do you have any closing statements that you would like to impart on our listeners today? Don't forget the bibliography. <laughs> this is specifically aimed at any students, but also in general. Okay. Yeah, from uh, from master's lips to God's ears. Like, if I could get my students to to include complete bibliographies, uh, my life would be much easier. <laughs> uh, yeah, in general, I, I think the uh, I think possibly the the best point that we hit upon overall is the fact that uh, um, skepticism is good, uh, and that we should be skeptical. Um, but not to the exclusion of uh, of considering possibilities that are beyond uh, what our own experience is. And uh, I think where where we were talking about where to find that line between uh, being open minded but not not being taken for uh, a a conspiracy theory that is uh, wildly uh, outlandish. Um, is is kind of the space where we need to to try to exist, particularly with uh, esoteric, occult, and spiritual matters. And Val, your thoughts? Just to you know, stay weird. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's short and sweet. All right, my name is Dr. Rob C. Thompson. You have been listening to our panel conversation about pop occultism. I have been joined this day by Savannah Barrett, our sister of the eighty fourth degree. So long. I also like that. Stay weird. <laughs> and Luke Kinneman, our Producia Discordia. Luke, give our guests a little love on the way out the door here. Uh, I don't know if you heard that <laughs> peck on the cheek. That's just for you, listeners. <laughs> Aster, Brian, and Val, we really appreciate you taking the hour with us, hour plus, uh, to discuss these things. It's been a great conversation.